we uh, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ we don't we are told we are not to covet anything but it's all right that we covet the prayers of the saints and so uh, we do appreciate an interest in your prayers <clears throat> can't call you all by name we might be able to do that later on in a few days, I don't know, but uh, I would like to be able to get acquainted with all of you. I found out already that there's a few of you who are my relation. We are related through Urban and Mary Lehman, which would be your great-great-grandfather, maybe triple great, I'm not sure, but uh, good to see you here, all of you. It's a delight to me to see your smiling faces here as we meet to learn a little bit more from God's Word. Do you remember, do you recall what the cook said about you last night? She said she loved to see your beautiful faces again. And I concur with that. The faces of you young men and women are beautiful. Because they're different than other faces we see on the streets. Whether it's in the workplace, in the hardware store, wherever we go, those faces have features and stress lines and all of those kinds of things. We see in your faces the light and the love of the Lord Jesus, and we're grateful for that. Keep smiling. Because I've heard before that a smile is like a light in the window. It means there's somebody home and there's somebody home in your heart. I've been watching you young people uh, from the back for a few hours last evening as we met here, and now we're assembled for a little time of worship and learning. And I want to tell you that this is humbling to me, it really is. Because I see bright faces, as I said. I see intelligent minds, I see enthusiasm and energy, young men and women, and I say to myself, Lord, these are smart people. These are good young men and women. Now, I'm going to teach them some. I'm just an older man with a few more miles under my feet, and yet if I'm going to be here and help you folks along, may I say to you on behalf of all of the speakers, myself and all of the others, Lord, if there's anything going to be done here, it's going to be because of Him. Whatever He teaches your heart through whatever you hear, praise Him. We are glad to be here. Grant invited me to come here some several months ago. And I confess to you that I struggled for a couple of weeks. Should I? Should I not? Grant knows this. That I told him I'd get back to him, but he waited a couple of weeks. And I knew that if I said yes, that was going to be a serious commitment on my part. I have to do some preparation, all of that. And it's just got set aside some time to do this. So I struggled with that a little bit. I, I, I prayed about it. Becky and I talked about it. We conferred. We sought the will of God. And then one day a light came on when uh, Grant had sent me a paper, kind of a schedule and kind of an outline of what was going to take place here. And it uh, pointed out that if I accepted this, that my responsibility would be to talk to you about Jesus is. And then there was five different subtopics there, all of 
which Jesus is. And I thought to myself, Norm, I think it's time to wake up. This is serious, and there's nothing better for you to talk about than Jesus is. It's exciting, and it has been exciting in my life as well. I hope that I can convey some of that enthusiasm to you as well as we go on. I want you to know that when we have finished five sessions of teaching here, Norm will be finished. But he will only have scratched the surface of what Jesus really is. There is more, the whole book is about him. There is far and away more and more for your own private studies. And hopefully some of this will just give you an impetus to do a little more study on your own. Um, I want to insert something else right here. I want to refer back to last evening. Pete stood here in this spot and he told us that Jesus wants us to know him. And that is absolutely true. Jesus Christ wants us to know him. Now, think a little bit about this. Contrast that with for centuries, even for several millennia, people have been clamoring doing all kinds of things to try to know their God, whoever it is, whatever name he or she may have. They are clamoring to know their God. They offer sacrifices to them. They give them food to eat, which they can't. They offer gifts to them to try to appease their wrath and all of that. They cut themselves and all these kinds of things in worship of false pagan gods, trying to know them, and it doesn't happen because they're not knowable. They're false. They're dead. They're powerless. But the God of creation, the God who created and sustains all things, wants you to know Him. That's awesome. He already knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. But He wants you to know Him. And I would be in hopes that when we leave this place in a few days, after having listened to all the teaching that's going to take place here, that you would feel like you do know him a little bit better. That would be our desire. Secondly, um, Joe started us off. He really got us off to a good start talking about purpose. He wanted us to have purpose for being here, but extended it even farther than that. We need to have purpose in our lives and very good counsel to all of us, young and old have purpose in our lives. But I'm going to ask you, do you know that Jesus Christ came to earth with a purpose, for a purpose, and he had a plan to implement that purpose? Can you tell me what that purpose was? Anybody? To save us. To save us. To provide salvation for us, men and women who desperately need to be saved. And there's only one way. So he came to implement his purpose, and had a plan to bring it about. <clears throat> Lastly, I want to thank Anthony for his work with you young people and your singing ability. It's obvious to me that you young men and women came with a purpose to sing. You sing beautiful. And I, I, I'm going to have to tell you, maybe you see me this way sometimes, but music like that kind of gets to me. Uh, it sometimes brings tears to my eyes. I don't say that I like that, but that's the way I'm made, and I have to struggle through that. I love it. I love to hear you singing. And I have to believe 
that God himself enjoys singing more than any other sound of praise that we can make to him. Yes, God inspired people to make pianos. Beautiful, I love it. The guitars, all kinds of musical instruments, but they were made by men's hands. God made your voice. And when you use that voice to praise him, I have to believe that he smiles. He loves it. So thank you for your singing. As I thought about this series of five messages, I, uh, I kind of thought, well, we're going to look at five different facets, uh, five different features of Jesus Christ and the work that he has accomplished for us. And so I'm going to try to, my best to make each session, I'll say standalone, uh, we're probably going to have a bit of repetition, maybe reiteration of some of the facts along the line, because after all, it's all talking about the same person, and some of these things are all interconnected, so we'll, we'll try to make them stand, stand alone. But all of this serves to comprise the whole of our glorious God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can look at Him from all different facets, and it all comes together in one beautiful picture. So I would like to encourage us as we go through this, think about this, I won't repeat this uh, each day, but think about this in terms of what he has done for us, past tense. Think As we work through each of these, think about what he has done for us in the past. Think about what he is doing in us, present tense, today and every day. And think about what he will yet do through us as we lend ourselves to his service. He is at work in our lives and we want to be available for him. Lend ourselves to his service. This morning we want to talk about two things and those two things will be Jesus is the way and Jesus is the truth. The third one about Jesus being the life, we will plan to address that tomorrow morning I wanted to try to stay within the time frame, and I think we'll, we'll see how this all comes out, but we'll get to the third aspect of that tomorrow. So with that as a background, and just kind of an introduction, why don't you open your Bibles to John chapter 14, and we're going to read six verses there. We will ultimately concentrate our thoughts on verse 6. I think that uh, at our little Bible studies back home, when we have the young folks together, we kind of take turns reading around the room, and we just start in and read a verse at a time, and, and that's good. Why don't we do that this morning? Why don't we start, first of all, with the fellows here, with uh, Luke down here. Just read one verse, verses 1 through 6, as we come down the table here, and then we'll go from there. John 14. Yes, John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart trouble. believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Thank you, fellows. 
if there was any ever any doubt that this God that we're here to proclaim, this God that we serve faithfully every day, if there was ever any doubt that He didn't want us to know Him, that should take it away right there. He wants us to know Him. Let's bow our heads for just a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we are about to embark on a little study of your word. We ask, Father, that you will make your presence known among us. We ask that you will send your Holy Spirit down to, to guide each one of us and to, to, to direct our thinking process. We pray that we can focus on you and that this would become very, very real to all of us. We think of these young men and women and the various world situations that they will be facing as they leave this place, already have, and we're secluded here for a couple of days. And then we go back out into the world and meet the challenges of life. Father, we ask that all of this time spent together will be fruitful in their lives, that they will be better able to meet the challenges and the temptations of life. They will always look to you for their guidance in every situation. Thank you, Father, for the promises of your word. Make your presence known among us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> it was uh, mid-October 2008. My dad, I'm going to try to do this and not get too emotionally involved, so I want to, I, that's my tendency, but... I want to tell you a short story. My dad was lying on what proved to be his deathbed back in Ohio. He was in a rest home at the time. I had flown back to Ohio to see him for a couple of three days. I knew his health had been declining. I was in touch with my brother and my sister back there. He had just turned 95 years old two months earlier and his health began to deteriorate about the time of his birthday. And I knew that he was probably not going to get better. At 95, there's usually one way it goes. God can work a miracle, no doubt about that, but probably won't. So I had been there. I had visited him a time or two. My plane was leaving the next morning. This was evening now. And I knew that this may be the last time that I got to see my dad and talk to him this side of glory. So I was going through my mind, what am I going to say? What can I say to my dad, my mentor? All of the years of my life that I had known him, he was always there. Give him a call on the phone and talk to him. So I, opened, I went in there and I opened my Bible to the six verses we just read. I tried to encourage him. I said, Dad, you know there's a better place. And he nodded his head, yes, he knew that. I said, that this is a pretty grubby world we live in. Yeah, he knew that. I said, the promises of God are absolutely sure, Dad. Yeah, he knew that. I told him that I loved him. I said, God bless you. And I went outside and wept. I'm sorry. It was the last time I saw my dad. Last time I got to talk to him. But I'm going to see him again. Here's why I want to tell you why I told you this story. I'm going to see him again. Not because he was a good man. 
Not because he was my dad, but I'm going to see him again because he was absolutely sold out to Jesus Christ. That was his life. He taught me every day of my life when I was a youngster at home. He taught me the right thing, the right standards. I will see him again. His faith, his focus, his entire life was centered on Jesus Christ. The one who said, we just read a little while ago, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He was sold out to him. It's been said, you've probably heard the saying before, that without the way there is no going, without the truth there is no knowing, without the life there is no living. All true statements. But my beloved today, we have it all. As we sit here today, we have it all. We have the way to go. We have the truth to know. We have the life to live. And it's not just here and now in Washington or for the next few days. It's here and now and it's for all eternity. Because we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus. Someday we do anticipate spending eternity in His very presence. The very presence of the God who went to the cross to save us. Okay, I think I got I think I got past the difficult part now. Thank you. Jesus said, I am the way. That's a pretty bold statement. Especially if you consider the background, the context of what he said that made that statement too. He was he was talking to probably a predominantly Jewish audience. There would have been some Gentiles there, of course. The Gentiles weren't looking for any kind of a deliverer. That wasn't on their radar. And here's a man that's saying he's the way. The Jews were looking for a way. They were looking for a Messiah to be sure. But because they knew the Old Testament Scriptures and they knew that Old Testament pointed to Messiah, Redeemer, someone who was supposed to come and take care of them. The rabbis confirmed all of that. So they were looking for a Redeemer. They were looking for a Messiah. But who was this? Who was this man, this meek and humble imposter that had the audacity to stand there quietly and say he was the way? They were looking for a way, but it had to be somebody that was going to come with power and great glory. Someone who could subdue the Romans and, and take away the oppression that they were under. They needed somebody to be able to assert himself. Surely, this wasn't the man. He might be able to be the way to something or some place, but not anything or place that the Jews needed, or so they thought. And the first lesson for us today is to think about that a little bit. What about your preconceived ideas of what you want to do, where you want to go, what you want to be? Maybe you have some ideas in your minds, young women, young men, of what your occupation wants to be. That's good. But make sure that it's in the will of God. He may change your plans sometime. And it may, when He does, I trust that it would be very, very obvious 
that what he is doing, he is changing, he is upsetting your plan perhaps. But if it's his will and it's his way, he will provide a way for you to do that. So be sensitive, the, the, the bottom line is to be sensitive to the will of God in your lives as you seek to find your way in life. Jesus said, I am. First two words, I am. Today, if we hear somebody talking about themselves, if, if I were to stand here, right here, and start talking about me, I am this, I am that, I have been doing this, you would very quickly get bored and you would say, that man has an ego problem. All he wants to think about is himself. And I have to wonder, was it kind of the same way back then? When they heard Jesus standing there saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I wonder. Um, do you suppose it was any different 2,000 years ago? Human beings are still pretty much the same. We haven't changed a whole lot in our habits. And so I wonder if, if some of, when, when you made that statement, if some of them turned away and said, oh, another one of those. He's got all the answers except how to deal with Rome. That's the big issue. We need to know how to deal with Rome. Thing they didn't know at that time was that this I am, the one who was saying I am, was the same I am that we read about in the Old Testament. It's the same I am that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. I don't think we'll go to, well, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Yes, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. We're just going to look at a couple of quick verses. Exodus 3. I'm going to read the first. In the recent read verses 2, 3, and 4. Uh, in this, just to give you an overview, God commissioned Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, and, and he got their attention, got Moses' attention by a burning bush. And uh, I don't want to read the whole the whole thing here, but let's start with verse Exodus 3, verses 2, 3, and 4, and let's start over here in the corner of this table. Um, I forget your name, tell me please. Katie. Katie, okay, Katie. Would you read those three verses, uh, just three of you girls? Exodus 3 and 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him by the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Okay, let's just stop there. And there's another little lesson on the side here. Moses said, I will now turn aside. Think about that a little bit. Think about the times when you have, you have a goal. Think about Brandon's uh, devotion to us this morning. He turned aside. He had a definite goal. He had an objective where he was headed. And... They saw somebody perhaps in trouble. They turned aside, and it was a blessing to both sides. Not, not only Brandon and his partner Marshall, or no, yeah, but the people that he helped. So there's a blessing sometimes when we take the time to turn aside in our daily life. But back to this. Uh, Moses saw this burning bush on fire. God told Moses his plan. We could read farther, but I'm going to just recap it real quick. And Moses demurred from that. He said, oh, I don't think I can do that. Uh, no. 
he had a lot of reasons. He had quite a list that he gave to God that he really wasn't able to do all this. Later on, he told him, well, but you know, I can't talk very well. And God took care of that problem. So he, he, he tried to get out of this, but I want to go to verse 14. And prior to that, Moses said to God, but if I do this, in so many words, if I do this, what am I going to tell the people? What am I going to say about his name? What's the name of the God that's sending me? Would you read verse 14, please, Claire? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am hath sent me unto you unto you. God said to Moses, it's okay. I'm going to be with you. I'm calling you to do this and I'm going to be right there by your side. Moses said, well, what's your name? And he simply says, tell him I am sent you. Now, until you look at that a little closer, you think, well, that's sure a strange name just for somebody to have the name I am. Well, it is a strange name for, to you and I. It's strange for somebody to have the audacity to say that I am, but it's not a strange name for God. Strange to us, not to God. Because when you look at what it is, when God says His name is I am, it fits Him perfectly. It tells us that He is in fact omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent in every way. He is the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present at one and the same time. I am. Not I will be or I was. I am. Present tense, continuous action. It goes on and on and on. I am the great God of heaven, he says. The book of Colossians tells us that he is the preeminent one. His name makes the statement that he alone does not seek any outside counsel or help from anywhere. You can read in the book of Psalms, he would ask us, where were you? He asked Job, where were you when I set the foundations of the earth? Where, who was the one that gave him counsel to do anything like that? And Job was dumbfounded. He had no answer because he couldn't answer. God took care of all things. He is supreme. Now I want to point out a little kind of an interesting thing here. This name, I am, in the Hebrew language, and I'm not a Hebrew student, but I like to look at words. Joe mentioned that a little bit last night. I, I like a word study here and there. But this is interesting to me because this name in Hebrew is Hayah. And it's a palindrome. That means it's spelled the same backwards and forwards. H-A-Y-A-H. Spell it the other way. H-A-Y-A-H. It's a palindrome. What does that tell you about God? Maybe there's different messages here, but it tells me He's the same no matter how you look at Him. You can look at Him backwards and forwards, top to bottom, bottom to top, whatever. He is the God that is always the same. He never changes. Now, I don't think God does anything by happenstance or by chance. God orchestrated the Hebrew language so that that word would do exactly that. Tell us, send us a message about His name, that He is the same no matter how we try to look at Him. He never changes. 
We find out in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, where it's talking about Jesus Christ. He's Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And that's why we can stand here and we can proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ because He never changes. We're going to talk a little bit later about the world that we live in that does change. So God doesn't do anything by chance. He always has been. He always will be the same. Therefore, we can safely trust in Him. We can, we can completely and absolutely depend upon Him. He always has been. He always will be the rock that cannot be moved. He's the shelter for us in the storms of life. He's the God of all comfort. If we can go to Him 24 and 7 and pour out our hearts to Him, and He will comfort our spirits. He's the bread and water of life. And it goes on and on and on ad infinitum. Jesus is. I am. More than that, He says, now I am the way. Notice, if you will, in all three of these designations we're going to go through, and I don't intend to repeat this part, but all three of these where he says, I am the way, truth, and the life, all of those are preceded by the definite article, the. Uh, not a way, or not one of many ways, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is only one way. There is only one truth. There is only one life. That's what it's telling us. The reason for that is God's word is precise. He doesn't leave us any avenue for speculation on these things. There are, as we referred to earlier, there are other false gods in this world. And, and, and we deal with those. We, we, we cast those aside. Other people may bow down to them, but there is only one God who is supreme above all. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the definite article. Now many people don't really like to hear that. And you will find that there are even some professing Christians who will argue or debate that kind of language, that there is only one way. They would, their argument in one time, one capacity would be, well, why would God be so narrow-minded as to say that there's only one way of salvation? Why would God be so narrow-minded as to do that? You know what? I'll tell you why God is so narrow-minded. Because He is narrow-minded when it comes to that subject. He has the right to be. That whole plan of salvation cost Jesus Christ His very life's blood. Intense suffering on the cross. He died on the cross to save you and I. God is narrow-minded when it comes to saving us. There's only one way. And you know that. And I'm just reinforcing what you already know. God did that for our sakes. It was so horrible. It was so traumatic at the time. The earth shook. There was darkness over the land for three hours in midday, pitch black darkness. And I have to believe that along with that darkness that there was silence. I don't think there were any animals bawling out in the pen. I think it was darkness. It was so thick you could almost feel it. The Son of God hung on the cross for you and I. 
And he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That will never be repeated again, beloved. Never. It was too awful to ever go through again. But at the same time, it was absolutely wonderful because it was the end of law. It was the beginning of the age of grace when His blood was shed for the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. It's still efficacious today. It still works for those who come to Him in, him in faith believing. It, there is, it, his blood atones for the sins of whosoever will, wheresoever they are, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other method. There is no other, another approach to a holy God except through His Son, Jesus Christ. For He alone is the way to heaven. Now I think all of you folks have been taught that already. I don't think I have said anything here in the last few minutes that you say, oh, I've never heard that before. You know that. But I'm reinforcing that from the Word of God. That that is true. That's where we are. And as you go out into the world and you encounter other people and say, well, this is just one way of many. No. No, it's not true. Satan is the master counterfeiter. He is not an originator. Satan does not have the ability to create anything. He is a copycat. And he counterfeits and copies anything that he can to make an imitation that's almost like the original. He will do his best. There are many, many different religions. There are several prominent religions in the world today with millions, even some of them with billions of followers. And God has placed in the heart of man a basic instinct to, to, to worship someone or something that is greater than himself, himself being the man. We have within our being the desire and the need, the innate nature to worship someone greater than ourselves. We recognize that it's necessary. We're just fickle creatures. And Isaiah tells us in, in chapter 44, it tells us about how silly it is, what, what man does. And if you want to write it down in your notes, Isaiah 44, verses 14 to 17, I don't think we'll go there, but it tells us about the silliness of man, how man goes and he cuts down a tree, and he takes part of the tree, and he uses the wood to make a fire, to cook his food, and he takes the other part of that tree, and he sits down and he carves an idol out of it, and he props it up and he says, he bows down to it, he says, Thou art my God. How silly. But you know, people do that. Some of you who have been in other foreign countries before, you tell about the idols that, that people worship. Whether they're clay or gold or ceramic or wood, whatever. They make other gods. Satan tries to get people to worship anything. Anything except the one true God. Satan desire, The reason is that Satan desires that worship for himself. You can read about his desire. He says, I will, I will, I will. This is what Satan wants to do. He wants to be the preeminent one. And that's why there's such a struggle and a conflict in the world around us today. Satan desires that worship for himself and he relentless, relentlessly tries to usurp God and steal his praise for himself. Let me summarize what I have just been saying about Jesus being the way. I'm going to give you four scriptures here. I don't think I've got them on my computer, so I don't think I'll turn to them. But you can write them down, and there are others. There are many, many others. I would encourage you to to make it a little study of your own. Talking about Jesus saying, "I am the way." John chapter ten, verse thirty. 
Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Jesus Christ the Son, God the Father, are co-equal in deity, co-equal in agreement of purpose. There is no dissension whatsoever among them. And when we say that we are praying, we're praying to God, we're praying to Jesus, that's okay. They're one and the same. We can call them co-equal because they are equal. I used to be a little bit concerned sometimes thinking about now, I'm praying here to God and what about His Son or the other way around? And Scripture tells us, I've done a study on it, and Scripture tells us it's fine. We pray to God through the Son, that they are co-equal. So, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Secondly, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter is speaking. Peter says, neither is there salvation in any other. And he's talking back, referring back to Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's one way. It's Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. The beloved Apostle John, elderly man, he's looking back on, on what his life has been like. He is sitting in there and the Spirit of God is revealing these things to him. The Apostle John says, Beloved, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And he goes on to elaborate on that part. But when we believe that Jesus is in fact the Christ, we are born of God. We have experienced that new, dirt, new birth. You can't say that. You can't admit to that and not be born again. Devils know that He's God, but they don't want to believe in Him. They won't confess Him as Lord and Savior. We desire, we need the new birth. And we have faith in the living God. Last scripture, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. Same chapter. John says to us, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and notice carefully, and this life, eternal life, and this life is in His Son. That's the avenue. That's the way for us to have eternal life. He goes on in verse 13 and says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know he talked about knowing God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now that's just a small sampling of four different scriptures. There are others that you could go to and, and uh, substantiate the point. We're going to have to keep moving. I want to get through Jesus is the truth. Enough for now about Jesus is the way. Now we want to talk about Jesus says, I am the truth. We have covered the fact that Jesus, uh, when He said, I am, is not only His name, but it's His very existence. It's His entire being. It's His personality. It's all concentrated in that, that He is the great I am. So now then, we've, we're not going to go back there. Let's focus for a little while on Him being the truth. I want to start by saying, can you imagine such a thing as a world, a society that we live in without any such thing as truth? No absolutes. Uh, everything is variable. Uh, everything is adaptable to however you or I agree that it ought to be whatever we determined it to be at the time. 
just to suit our own needs or our own satisfaction, whatever. A world without truth, I suggest to you it would be absolute and unlimited chaos. Without truth. And, and, and you're going to see when we go through this, that's where we're headed, folks. We're seeing shades of it all around us today. Absolute and unlimited chaos without truth. The fact of the matter is, if, if intelligent minds would, would, would think about this and carry it out far enough, they would soon realize that if there were no absolutes, if there were no truth, mankind would have ceased to exist some millennia past. Mankind would have ceased to exist sometime shortly after they were created. If there wasn't anything that we could count on, if there wasn't any precision to the sun and the moon and the stars and therefore seasons, God has declared there's going to be seed time and harvest, and there has been. If there were not any weather conditions, patterns, seasons that we could plan on, if there wasn't any truth there, we wouldn't have any food. That's just one thing. God has orchestrated all of this in His infinite wisdom for the sustenance and the, the, the continuation of mankind. Think about math problems. One plus one equals and whatever you want it to be for now. That's foolishness. Think about chemistry and science. You put two things together and you expect a certain reaction and you get something different. It's not going to work. There are absolutes. There are chemistry absolutes and all of this kind of thing. Now, I, I realize when I go here that when people say truth is relevant, they're not necessarily talking about the scientific world. They're talking about the moral world. They're talking about society and things they're trying to adjust to fit their own envelope of what they want to do. I understand that. But I'm trying to carry it on as far as I can just to illustrate a point how it does not work. Truth is relevant. No, it's not. That's the, the claim that they want us to believe today. And I'll paraphrase that truth is relevant and I'll say it simply means you go by your rules and I'll go by mine and we'll both be happy. No. You might be happy for a little while, but it's not going to be sustained. It's not going to work. All attempts, and here's why, because all attempts to bypass, all attempts to deny truth are a direct affront to Almighty God. And He doesn't take kindly to anybody making an affront to His wisdom, His intelligence, His intellect, anything like that. God has done all things for our sustenance, for our life, and God does not appreciate somebody telling Him, you don't have to do that. He does not respond to that kindly. He has established limits and boundaries for all of the universe, for our society, so that there will in fact be seed time and harvest. So that we will hopefully recognize Him as the source of all blessing. But man wants his own way. Mankind wants to do as he pleases. And you can enter the name, the word humanism at this point. That's where we are headed. That's what, that's what our society is wanting to do. Those who do not profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the secular world out there, humanism says we don't need God. In fact, we can make this world a better world without Him. Not going to happen. They may think so. But that, beloved, is the most brazen lie of all. To think that we can make society, to think that we can make this world better without God, how foolish. It is not the truth. 
History proves, if you will only look back and read the history books and believe them, history proves that mankind tends to become degenerate in proportion to his denial of God. And complete denial of God leads to rapid and complete degeneration. That has happened before. It's in process today. And I don't want this to be a message of gloom and doom, but I'm trying to reiterate to us the world that we live in and, and some of the challenges that we have. And that's why we want to stay with the Word of God. Whatever, the, whatever we need to do, this is still valid. The judgment of God is justified and it's perfect against all who reject the Son who endured indescribable suffering and pain unto, the, unto death so that we all could believe in Him and have life eternal in Jesus Christ. Salvation is, a, is not a procedure or a process. It's all about faith in a person. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, who loved us enough, who went to the cross while we were yet sinners and saved us. And He asks that we come to Him in faith believing. Back to the, to the, the fact of truth. The age and the age we live in. I believe it's safe to say. I, I do. I do believe this would be a, a safe statement. That never before, never think about this. 2017. Never before in the history of man has it been more challenging of a time period to stand on and to stand for the truth. Now you think back a couple millennia ago. We don't know what that was like, but man was still kind of a barbaric creature in many, many ways, didn't have the comforts, conveniences we have, but I don't think there were so many different avenues, so many different things, so many different distractions to those people to try to get them to depart from the truth. Truth was, was hard to come by in those days. Man, mankind lived a pretty simple life in some ways, like we say, it was kind of barbaric. But today we know the truth, and yet there are all kinds of things bombarding us every day to try to distract us. Now, I don't know about you folks. Um, I don't know whether you were all raised in godly homes or not. I, I, one group stood over here last evening and said that they were all raised in godly homes, and we're thankful for that. Maybe not everybody here had that privilege. Some of you may not have been... Did I do something here? Okay. Okay. I don't know whether that's a subtle suggestion. Uh, Anthony says my battery's run out. Maybe that's time for me to sit down. Uh, well, I'll I'll try to talk a little louder. Um, the fact that you're here, whether you were raised in Christian home or not is not relevant right now. The fact that you're here means that you want to learn more about this, this mighty God. And so that is commendable. We are glad you are here. And so the question that I have for you, for you to answer is, are you convicted? Are you absolutely convicted that this Word of God that we're talking about this morning is absolute truth and as such that you would rather die than to recant this Word? Now that's a serious question. That's not a fun question to think about. That's not fun to, to answer something like that, but think about it. How serious are you? How serious are you about your conviction to the Word of God? It's not pleasant, but I think we should deal with that in our own lives. 
Am I serious enough about the Word of God that I would die rather than recant? Now I want to... Uh, who's in charge of the time? How much time do I have here? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. I'm going to go as far as I can here and I might be able to complete it. If not, we'll, we'll try not to transgress on time. There are three terms that I want you to be familiar with that and some of you have heard some of this in a longer uh, sense a couple years ago when we had a minister's conference. But there are three terms. I'm going to shorten it down. Those terms are pre-modern and modern and post-modern. Three different terms describe different eras of time. And, and we live in the postmodern world today. And you might say, well, so what? What does that have to do with Jesus Christ being the truth? It has a lot to do with that. Let me explain. Pre-modern is a time period historically that led up to about the mid-1800s. Give or take some, but it's just a, kind of got to pick a spot. It would be prior to the Industrial Revolution when machinery began to be developed and, and more than just hose and stuff like that. Actual machines, engines and all of that. It was the time of our ancestors, our great-grandfathers and our double-great and maybe even triple-great-grandfathers and farther on. It was a time for their, their lives. They get up in the morning and they had to build a fire in order to get warm and maybe even then all the only way you could be warm was stand in front of the fire. Pretty, pretty simple surroundings and houses. Here's the definition of pre-modern. I'll read it a couple of times. The pre-modern era was one in which religion was the primary source for truth and reality. I'll read it again. Pre-modern era was one in which religion was the primary source for truth and reality. You see, God's existence and the revelation of Himself through His Word in those times that we're talking about was widely accepted. The fact of the matter is, the Bible was the textbook that was used in early and colonial America. And today, we don't, we're not allowed to have Bibles in our public schools. We can't pray in public schools. And so I have to ask you, is it working? No, it's not working. And yet we keep making the same mistake. We're getting farther off track all the time. Bibles are not allowed. We're not allowed to pray in school. The pre-modern era was one in which religion was the primary source for truth and reality. Enough on pre-modern. Now then, we come to modern times. Modern times would be from about the mid-1800s to about the mid-1900s. Give or take a few years. Science became the dominant source for truth and reality. Notice, it was the Bible. It was the Word of God. Now science has taken place. And in the modern era, era and here's a definition, religion and the morality based upon it were arbitrarily demoted to the subjective realm. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, doesn't really matter, it's just kind of your opinion. That's what subjective means. You can choose whatever you want, whatever you like. I'll read it again. In the modern era, religion and the morality based upon it were arbitrarily demoted to the subjective realm. 
And so you say, well, what happens? Well, here's the outcome of that. As a result of that, the existence of God and His involvement in the lives of men began to be seriously questioned. Is there really a God? Does it matter? You hear all of these things around us. But that was the modern era. Unfortunately, we have even gone beyond the modern era. We are now in the post-modern era. That's the mid-1900s up to now. And today, it's individualism, me first. It's relativism, changeable standards, really doesn't matter as long as we two agree on it. It's okay, fine for us. That's what relativism is. It's individualism, it's relativism, and both are now applied to all spheres of knowledge, including science and the Bible. That's where we are. Even science is being questioned. People are being taught today to ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. It's more important to talk about it and ask questions than it is to come up with an answer. Some of you probably are involved in in uh, the new uh, education system, I've, the term left me right away. Um, Common Core. Common Core, yes, yes. Some of you are involved in Common Core. Asked a lot of questions. Uh, discuss it, talk about it. But it doesn't really matter what the answer is. It's not all important. I'm over, kind of glossing it over here, but really. So in, in the postmodern era, the world we live in today, here's the definition. The postmodern era, there is no single defining source for truth and reality beyond your individual preference. Think about that. Isn't that silly? Humanism? Absolutely. All the way to the core. I'll say it again. In the postmodern era today, there is no single defining source for truth or reality truth and reality, beyond our own individual preference. That, my beloved, opens the door. That opens the door for all kinds of things. It opens the door for multiple kinds of evolution. And so we'll throw theistic evolution in here in this mix to try to pacify the Christians for a little while. We'll throw in billions of years that are being taught in schools and churches rather than the biblical account of creation in Genesis, the book of Genesis. All of this to say, if you can't trust the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, I asked you, can you trust the rest of the book? Satan is a masterful counterfeiter. He gets people to question these things. And we know better. We don't question the Word of God. It is absolute. So I ask you a question now. After having looked at pre-modern, modern, and post-modern, I ask you, does this information that I have just shared with you help you to see the world we live in just a little bit more clearly when you see the, the situations around us, when you, when you read the newspapers, when you see the news whatever, on your computer, whatever, does it help you understand a little bit more where they're coming from? It does to me, because they don't have the same values that we do. They don't embrace the same standards that we do. Our standards are rock solid and they're eternal. Theirs are they are changeable, they're shifty, they're transitional. Is it any wonder that people are worried about the future. They have great concern. 
well, I have a little concern about the future. I don't like the way things are going, but I know that there's a better world beyond. I know what, what's going to happen when I leave this world, and you do too. So I am not, I'm not concerned about that. I'm not worried. Some people are greatly worried about the future, and yet they keep repeating, they keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Humanism. We can make this place better. We'll do it ourselves. What a lie. Um, some of you have probably heard there's an expression that says uh, definition of insanity is when you do the same thing over and over and over again and you expect different results. That's where we are. That's what humanism is. Not going to have any different results. You're going to get the, the results might be different. They're going to be down. They're going to be worse. So one more thing. Uh, trying to think. Uh, uh, maybe I've got a little bit more to go here. I've got five minutes or so. I either try to wind it up or finish it up tomorrow morning. What do you want me to do? I don't want to encroach on time, Pete. Yeah, fine. Go, go ahead. Okay. One more thing, and I'm going to wind this up. There is a postmodern lie being promoted, however subtle or however bold you may perceive it to be. The lie is, it's a delusional mindset that there is no objective, no definitive goodness or rightness. Do you see where, how we have gotten to that point? From postmodern to modern, to, to, from pre-modern to modern to postmodern, it was the Bible, it was science, now it's neither one, we question both of them. There's a delusional mindset that says there's no objective, no real definitive goodness or righteousness. Now, now, put that alongside the Bible, and no wonder people don't believe the Bible. No wonder they say, well, it doesn't really matter. That's the mindset that they've been taught to. And so we're into the point where there's a wholesale rejection of universal reason and absolute truth. Consequently, that leads to the dismissal of an absolute deity. See, there's a progress here, a process. It all has fallen into place. There is a, there's a dismissal of an absolute deity, our God, a God that hates sin, but He loves the sinner, and He provides a way of salvation when that sinner repents. You see, people have, have even lost sight of the fact that there is a need for salvation. We've lost sight of the fact that we are sinners before God. And before you can get somebody saved, you have to convince them they're lost. And, and, and society doesn't even go there. They say, oh, I love Jesus. But they don't recognize the fact that He is a God of wrath, just as much as a God of love. Rightfully so. What this all boils down to is, in other words, God, spell it with a small g, God is accepted in the postmodern world that we live in as long as He does not try to be God spelled with a capital G. Because that means He might try to interfere with your life and mine. So small God, small lowercase God is accepted, but not capital G God. So the next thing then that follows, again, we're still on a process. The next thing that follows, follows when you deny God, when you don't accept truth, the next thing that follows is feeling. So since there's no truth that we can actually hold on to, there is no... Uh, there is no uh, uh, truth, then the door is open now to all kinds of various mystical experiences. And beloved, that is happening today as well. Stay away from it. You don't even want to go close to it. Trust me in this. Mystical experiences are not good. There is no truth, and so people are starting to go, instead of no fact, 
to, for them to rely on. They try to go by feeling, and it doesn't work. Don't go there. It's the beginning of the dark world. And I'm going to go so far as to say to you, dear folks, Harry Potter, the shack, stuff like that, stay away from it. Amen. It's not good. It may have a, somewhat of a moral value there, but it's subliminal. It's not good. Don't go there. There are too many other good things to read. I know it's being promoted. The Shack is, I've read articles about that. I've never read the book, I'm not going to, but I have read a lot of articles about it and it's being promoted in churches today. It's not good. So what does Jesus say about truth? I got three scripture references and then we're going to be done. John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus says, sanctify, this is His high priestly prayer for you and I, he says to His heavenly Father, sanctify them through Thy truth. And He goes farther and He says, Thy Word is truth. And that's what we've been trying to share with you this morning. The Word of God is truth. This Word will set us apart from the world. It makes beautiful faces on you folks because there's a light on inside. John chapter 8, verse 32. And ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We are free from those kind of encumbrances. It says further, Jesus says, and, and you shall know the Son and the... And, and, no, if the Son shall set you free, ye shall be free indeed. And that's where we are. Last scripture, John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus said, how be it, when He... The Spirit of truth shall come. He's talking about His counterpart, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. Beloved, we who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God are able to see the unseeable. And if you think about that a little bit, I think you'll understand what I'm, what I'm saying. We can discern things that are taking place in the world around us that the other rest of the rest of the world is oblivious to. We can see what's happening because the Spirit of God dwells within us. Jesus Christ and His Word is truth. It always has been. It always will be. We don't need to reinterpret the Bible to fit our age. The, the Bible is intended to change men's lives. We don't change the Bible to fit men's lives. That's what they want to do. And we don't need to reinvent church. We're still happy to worship our God. The Bible is intended to change our lives as we conform to its truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And tomorrow, we want to talk about Jesus is the life. And I think that, uh, I don't know what they have planned from here on. Um, let's just close with a real brief prayer and then we'll turn this over. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time that we have had here to share from Your Word. Father, we pray that You will go with each of these young men and women. Go with the mothers and fathers here as well, the grandfathers and the grandmothers. Help us all, Father, to be discerning people. Help us to understand what we see around this, this world around us and, and help us to stay pure. Help us to stay focused on You. Jesus is, in fact, the only way the only truth, and the only life. And help us to take that with us every day. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.